and uh, also was able to be with Pastor Keith um, to this this weekend. And so uh, please continue to, to keep him in prayer. He'll be coming back here soon. And he actually was going to be wrapping up our sermon series on dunamis today. But uh, since he's gone, I get to do it. So we're going to be wrapping up the sermon series on dunamis. And this has been a fun series. I've really enjoyed this. Uh, dunamis, as you guys hopefully know by now, is a Greek word that means power. And what we are going to be doing is we're going to be uh, wrapping it up today and going through the book of Acts. We've been in that book of Acts for the last couple months. And I love that, that the book of Acts. It was Pastor Keith's favorite book, and he, he would preach on a sermon series on Acts, it seemed like, for years sometimes. I'm like, uh, Pastor Keith is, you know, I left, I, I remember teasing him one time, I left for Bible school, and you were doing a series on the book of Acts, and then I came back a year later, and you're, you're still on the book of Acts, you know. But there's so many amazing stories. Uh, accounts in the book of Acts that can really build our faith. And honestly, in these last two months that we've been on the book of Acts, we haven't even hit a half of them. And so I encourage you to get into your word, to dig deep into your, to the word of God yourself and read the book of Acts. It will challenge your faith. It will encourage you to grow. It will encourage you to walk in power. So if you would, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God, for who you are, Lord Jesus. I thank you, God, that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. God, that through you, we have dunamis power. We have power to live the life that you've called us to live that's worthy of the gospel. God, I pray that you would empower each of your servants, both men and women in this place today, to carry out the work that you began in us that we would see that good work come into fruition, Lord Jesus, that we would continue what you began until the day of the Lord Jesus. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, today it's going to be kind of just wrapping up this whole thing that we've been talking about in the last eight weeks. And today's title is The Power of Our Witness. Can you say witness? The word witness, most likely, if you think of the word witness, you look at it as a verb instead of a noun. We think of witness as someone who goes door to door and maybe, you know, tells someone, you know, asks someone if they can pray with them or tells them about Jesus or about their church. Uh, maybe we think of it as someone who does street witnessing and stands out on the street and preaches, you know. We think of witness as a verb. But I want to challenge you today that witness is more than a verb. It is that, but it's a noun, Mo, uh, the word witness as a noun is an individual who is being present and personally sees or perceives a thing, a beholder, a spectator, or eyewitness. It's a person or thing that affords evidence, a person who gives testimony as in a court of law, a person who signs a document attesting to the genuineness of his execution. It's a testimony or evidence to bear witness of her suffering. When you literally translate the Greek word for witness in the New Testament, it means martyr, which is eye-opening to me. I don't know if you knew that. That was something that just kind of was a mind-blowing to me, that the literal translation of the word witness means martyr. A martyr is someone who bears witness by his death. It's pretty insane it, when you think about it that every single one of the apostles in the— it, they were a witness and they eventually became martyrs, except for the, the apostle John, who did suffer greatly for Jesus, but didn't, wasn't a martyr. 
So when we say witness as a noun, we need to realize how serious that is. That really a witness is someone who is even willing to give up his very life for what he believes in. That's what the New Testament church did. That's what the first century church did. We need to have a shift in our thinking and realize that we're not called only to go witnessing, but we're called to be a witness. We need to have that shift. We're not just called to go witnessing, but we're called to be a witness. The book of Acts is actually, uh, the title is the Acts of the Apostles. But as I've said before, a better title for it, many scholars I believe would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is still moving. The Holy Spirit is still acting today. Amen. So this is not uh, just only a New Testament history book. What, it's, what it is, is an example of how to live. If you look at the book of Acts, there is no ending because God is still moving today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Holy Spirit wants to have action in you today. See, the book of Acts starts out with Jesus telling his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to fill them. And then we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and, and the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they prophesied, and they spoke in tongues. And we saw that Peter gave a great sermon, and 3,000 were added to the number. I highly encourage you to go and read it. The book of Acts, the first part of it really was concentrating on the, the life of Peter. The second half of it really concentrated on the life of Paul. Both of these apostles were ones who became martyrs. They were a witness for the one that they loved, friends. Acts 1.8, one of my favorite scriptures when Pastor Josh and I were ordained a few years ago, uh, this was the scripture that I chose. It says, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, until the ends of the earth. If God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, told his disciples to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit before they did ministry, what makes us think we can do ministry without the Holy Spirit, friends? We need the Holy Spirit, and he is still moving and is still active today, and we need to wake up, friends, and realize how much we cannot do this by ourselves, that we need to be in tune with what the Spirit of God is doing. Jesus himself and his earthly ministry said, I do not do anything that I do not see my Father doing. That requires relationship. See, there's things in the early church that they had the reason why they were able to have such a powerful witness that we have lost over the years that we need to gain back, friends. And so today I want to talk about why did the early church have power in their witness? I want to hit five reasons why the early church had power in their witness. And I want us to apply those things to our life so that we too can walk in a way that we have power in our witness. Number one, and if you have a talk it over sheet, you can go ahead and follow along with me. This is a way of taking notes. I believe, do we have a, a live version too on you version? We also go live there, so you can go ahead and do that too. But the very first point here, why the early church had power in their witness is number one, they had the fire of God. Can you say fire? They had the fire of God. Friends, we need the fire of God again in our life. There was a time 
that the church would come and long for revival. They believe that Jesus could come back at any moment for his body. And we have lost that anticipation and we have lost the fire. And friends, we need to get it back. We need to get the fire. We need to get the fire of the Lord back. See, God's presence has been identified with fire. From Moses, who very first uh, uh, received the Lord, and he saw the Lord as a consuming fire in the burning bush, friends, to the fire of, of the Holy Spirit coming down in the book of Acts like tongues upon the disciples. His, his presence has always been associated with fire. Hebrews 12, 29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. To be on fire for God means that we are totally consumed by him. One thing that attracted me most to my husband when we first started courting is, is <laughs> besides his good looks, <laughs> was the fact I saw the fire of God in him. His mother said this, and now if your mom says something about you, they, they know because they see, they see you at your best and at your worst. And his mom said that my son eats breathe and sleeps Jesus. I call that being consumed. Amen. Friends, we need to eat, sleep, and breathe Jesus. Jesus needs to be about everything we do. Jesus needs about everything we do. When we go to school, we need to remember we're going to school with Jesus. When we go to our workplace, we need to remember we're going to our workplace with Jesus. When we're changing our baby's diaper, we need to remember Jesus is right there with us, friends. When we're consumed by Jesus, we don't just save him for Sunday morning. When we're consumed by Jesus, we realize he is with us every moment of every day, friends. The early church got this. They understood that they needed to have fire for God. So much so, one of the scriptures that I believe exemplify this point the most in the book of Acts is Acts 17, verse 6. This was the enemies of the early church saying this about the apostle Paul and Barnabas. It says in verse 6, I'm going to, you got to go back and read the whole account, but in verse 6 it says, But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren and rulers of the city crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. They were looking for the apostle Paul and Barnabas, couldn't find them, so they sat, settled for this brother named Jason. And they said, these were the enemies of the gospel at the time, and they said, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. That was their reputation. Their reputation was when they went into a city, the old false religions, they went bye-bye. And now they heard the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that his kingdom is right here at hand, what Jesus preached. My kingdom is at hand, friends. That they could come into a personal relationship with Jesus and they can have, they can enter into a relationship with the Heavenly Father. That they no longer are ruler of their own destiny, that God is the ruler. God is the one king. And he appointed his son Jesus. And friends, we've got to have, what kind of reputation do we have? What kind of evidence is there to our life that we're on fire for God? Do we have people saying, man, these people have turned the world upside down. Friends, can we at least start right here in our community? Can we look at the South End community that, that we have been planted at for over 10 years and say, man, that neighborhood is different. It's been turned upside down because of the work of the gospel that's going out from Vision Ministries. Can we look at your workplace where you've been at for however long and say, that workplace is turned upside down because of the work of the gospel 
that's going on in the life of the individuals that come here and work here. Can we look at our family and say, our family will never be the same because their life has been turned upside down. Because they're on fire for Jesus. It's not, we, we've got to get out of this mindset of just only Sundays, friends, and realize it's every day, every day, every moment. See, they charge the first century local church the charge against the first century local church was they turned the world upside down. What a testimony of power and influence of this local church. What's your influence doing for Jesus? Because everyone, friends, has a circle of influence. Everyone has a circle of influence. See, the early church, they went out with the gospel message that was based solely on scripture, that empowered by the spirit of God. The result, they saw people's saved, lives changed. They felt the impact of their ministry. They had turned their world upside down. See, I think that phrase is an interesting phrase. It speaks of shaking things up. It speaks of, you know, it doesn't say that they just did protests and marches and boycotts, but they had a faithful proclamation of the gospel. We owe a debt to the early church. We wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the faithful witness of the early church. The early church had power in their witness, and they were on fire. When was the last time you did something radical for Jesus, friends? When was the last time you shared your faith with somebody else? I want to challenge every single young person. I have a message for you guys on Wednesday night. I don't preach often on the youth service, but I have a message for you guys as you're going back to school and have already been back to school. God wants to use you to radically turn your school upside down for Jesus. So make sure you're here Wednesday night. Parents, make sure that the young people get here on Wednesday night. But friends, it's not just for the young people. We, we want to put all these pressure on our kids to turn the world upside down, and yet we haven't shared Jesus with anyone in our workplace or in our family or on our Facebook page, friends. Come on. We need, when's the last time you shared about Jesus? When's the last time you invited someone to church? God wants to use you and your influence to show people what Jesus has done in your life. He can do in theirs too. Amen. Come on. Let's commit today to be on fire for the Lord. Amen. Why did the church have power in their witness? They were on fire for God. Number two, they had fellowship in Christ. Can you say fellowship? Come on, y'all. I'm making y'all wake up this morning. Say it again. Say fellowship. See, they found true fellowship in Christ. Acts 2, 41 through 46 is a good account. I'm just going to read verse 42 for the sake of time. It says this, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and, say the word, fellowship and fellowship, and in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. They had a continuous fellowship. The first church had, uh, was an unusual combination, friends. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors, former me members of the Sahedrin. They were harlots. They were ordinary folks. Friends, it was an unusual combination of people. And yet with all their diversity, they found tr their true identity in Jesus, and they had fellowship with one another. Man, how awesome is that? It reminds me of our church. We're a diverse bunch of people. We have single moms. We have, we have moms who, who, who are married, and, ha and we have blacks. We have whites. We have Mexican. We have South Side Other. We have men. We have women. We have uh, middle class. We have upper middle class, lower middle class, and uh, poverty. We have, a, we have a lot right here at our church. We have diversity. And I'm going to tell you what, friends, if you want fellowship with one another, the only fellowship that you're really going to have is first have fellowship in the Lord. 
When we first have fellowship in the Lord, then we can learn to have fellowship with one another. I'm going to give you a piece of advice right now. I hear this a lot. People will come to me and say, I just don't have any friends. You know, I've had a hard time connecting. I had a hard time making friends. That always hurts my heart when I hear people say that because um, I would love to be a friend to everybody, and I want our church to, to be friends with one another. I do. But I understand that people have busy lives, people have families, people have jobs, people have things to take care of. And so I have a piece of advice. If you feel lonely in this place, if you feel like you don't have any connection, that you don't have any friends, let me give you a piece of advice. I'm going to give you two pieces, actually. Number one, the first piece of advice I want to give you is that fellowship needs to be based on Jesus first. If you want fellowship, if you want godly fellowship, then you need to make sure that you're spending time with Jesus in prayer and daily in your word and in prayer. You need to make sure that you're on fire for God first and that you're spending time with God and that your encouragement first comes from the Lord. Because friends, if you're someone who always needs someone else to pull you up, oh baby girl, it's gonna be okay. Let me, let me pet you for a minute. Let me help you out for a minute. Let me sit down with you for a minute. Let me talk to you, baby girl, it's gonna be all right. Jesus loves you. If you are that type of person that always needs someone else to lift you up, to pull you up out of your, come on, we can do it. Come on, we're going to get to church. Come on, we can make it. If you're that type of person and you're crying out that you don't have any friends, there's a reason why you don't have any friends. Because that's draining. That's draining. That gets tiring sometimes. Now listen, we're supposed to do that for one another. We're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to pull one another up. But if we're always pulling someone up, and every time we talk to them, and every time they call us, it's a crisis. You're going to notice you're going to begin straight to voicemail sometimes. Because sometimes it's just not in you. I'm going to tell you this. I cannot give you what I don't have. You're calling me before 9 o'clock. I haven't even prayed yet. You don't want me to talk to you. You do not. My kids barely want me to talk to them. I got to get them ready for school. I, I got to make sure I wake up earlier so I have time with Jesus or I can't even get them ready without having an attitude. Come on, friends. First piece of advice, what are you doing about your relationship with the Lord? Because I can't want for you more than you want for yourself. And no one else in this room, in this sanctuary, can want for you more than you want for yourself. You have as much as Jesus as you want. That's what my pastor used to tell me. You have as much as Jesus as you want. If you want more Jesus, you can get more Jesus. And I'm going to tell you this, friends, when you get yourself right with God, it is not going to be hard for you to have friends because that's attractive. That's attractive. Godly people are attractive. It's, it's attractive to be around people that are encouraging. I like being around Lady D. I like going out to lunch with her. I like going shopping with her. I like hanging. We don't get to do it all the time, but when we do it, I like it. Lady D is not a Debbie Downer. When I'm with her, I feel encouraged. Everybody likes that. People like Pastor Earl. Why do people like Pastor Earl? Because he's always smiling, because he's always happy, because he's always, does he have his moments? Yeah, he has his moments. He's a human being. But guess what, friends? I'm not saying that we're supposed to fake it. I'm not saying that we're never supposed to have a hard time, because we do. I'm saying if you're constantly, always having a hard time, and you want someone else to fix your problems, whether that's your husband, your mama, your best friend, it's not going to happen. Encourage yourself in the Lord. David said to himself, why so downcast all my soul? Put your hope in the Lord. Number one, if you want fellowship, our fellowship needs to be with who first? Jesus. He's a lover of our soul. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Number two, if you want true fellowship, this is my second piece of advice. Be the one to reach out to someone else. 
Be the one to reach out for someone. Be the one. You, you could say to yourself, well, I've never had a spiritual mother. Well, be a spiritual mother. I've never had a coach in my life to coach me, right? Be that coach to somebody else. I've never had a best friend in Jesus. Be the best friend to somebody else. What you want, give it away. You want it, give it away. Oh, I just want, I just want friendship. Give it away. I just want someone to, to walk this walk with me and under, give it away, friends. What you want, give. Because you cannot receive what you do not plant. You cannot harvest what you do not plant, friends. Come on. Fellowship is not hard. It really isn't. But we got to take care of ourselves and the Lord before we can take care of others. Amen? You got that? You guys took that advice? All right. Don't just stick it in your pocket. Apply that to your heart, okay? Make your fellowship about Jesus. That's what the early church did. And they were a diverse group just like us, but they had Jesus in common. Who do we have in common? Jesus. Amen. Why did the early church have such power in their witness? Yes, they were on fire for God. Yes, they had fellowship with one another and in Christ. And number three, they had the fear of the Lord. All pastors talking about the fear of the Lord again. Yes, because y'all got to get this. As Paul said, it does not trouble me to say the same thing to you over and over. Sometimes we need to hear it over and over, right? Because we're building on it. So again, I'm not going to stay on this forever because I did a whole sermon on this a few weeks ago. If you did not hear the word of the Lord about the fear of the Lord, go to our SoundCloud. It was a few weeks ago and listen to that because I believe it was a life-changing message. But I want to hit the fear of the Lord again today because it's so very important. We read about Acts chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit and dropped dead. Y'all got to go back and read it if, you don't, if you're not familiar with it. After that happened, the fear of the Lord spread throughout the whole early church. In Acts chapter 9, it said, Then the church of Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord. Can you say that with me? Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. If we want to increase in numbers, friend, we've got to live in the fear of the Lord. The early church didn't just know about the fear of the Lord. They didn't just understand about the fear of the Lord. They applied the fear of the Lord to their life and they lived in the fear of the Lord. I explained in more detail, there's a difference between being afraid of God and the fear of the Lord. I'm going to share that just real quick again. Being afraid of God is a bad thing. The Bible says that God casts, his perfect love casts out all fear. That, that God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Being afraid of God is a bad thing. It keeps us from his presence. It makes us stand off from God. We don't want to come near him. But the fear of the Lord is not the same thing as being afraid of God. The fear of the Lord is an awe. It is a respect. It is a reverence for God. It's not just Jesus is my homeboy. It's not just Jesus is, is, is my main dog. No, it's Jesus is Lord and Savior. And when we get into that place, he says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Yes, he's our friend, but he has to call a servant first. You don't just get saved and all of a sudden, what's up, home dogs at Jesus? Come on. You got to build a relationship just like in a marriage. I could look at Josh now. Come on, baby. Can I get some eye contact? And he knows what I'm thinking, right? Day one, (laughs) especially if he said, if I got fire on my eyes, he knows. For real, dude, I just came home. After working a long day to a messy house, fire. No, baby had it cleaned up for mama yesterday. Thank you, by the way, for that again. See, he can understand now after 15 years, but day one, 
He didn't know what that look meant. He might have thought it looked like a crazy superwoman look and he might want to escape from it, but he didn't know what that look meant. It takes time. Friends, it takes time to build relationship with one another and it takes time to build relationship with God. But listen, God's time is not the same as our time. God can do in 15 seconds what it takes 15 years for man to do. But you gotta still be there with him, okay? The fear of the Lord. We need to learn to live in the fear of the Lord. I love what uh, John Brevere says about the fear of the Lord. It says, along with the love of God, the fear of the Lord is the most important foundational element of our Christian walk. It is a wonderful work produced by the Holy Spirit, empowering us to avoid evil. Say, avoid evil. Obey God's commands. Say, obey God. And live intimately with him every day. It is not only the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, but it's also the key of God's storehouse of blessing. Although this definition is far-reaching, it is basically a deep overriding awe and reverence for God, his word, and his unsearchable ways. It is through the fear of the Lord that we are able to grow and mature in holiness. Friends, the fear of the Lord leads to holiness, not legalism, do's and don'ts. Don't watch this movie. Don't wear your hair that way. Wear a bun and a long jean skirt and no makeup. I'm not talking about that, thank God. I'm talking about true holiness, which is being set apart and dedicated to God. God wants true holiness, and the fear of the Lord is what causes holiness to be produced in our life. We have to have a reverent fear of God, a respect, a awe of who he is. He is master. He is king. He is Lord. And we are his subjects. To fear God is to be awestruck with God's character and word. It is a state of deep reverence that can cause us to tremble before him because of his righteous judgment. The fear of the Lord is a joyful praise and worship of glory resulting in humble obedience to his will. Friends, if you're having a hard time giving up a certain area of sin in your life, maybe it's because you don't have the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord makes us want to obey God. It causes us to be obedient. We don't want to mess around. We don't want to flirt with sin. We don't even want to look in that direction because when we fear God, we want to live a holy life that pleases him. And friends, it starts at home. How we treat one another, how we treat our children, how we treat our husband, how we treat our siblings and those who are close to us in our workplace. That's where it starts. The fear of the Lord. We need, it. we need to live in the fear of the Lord like the early church. Amen? We need to live in the fear of the Lord. Why else did the early church have power in their witness? They were faithful. Not only did they have the fear of the Lord, not only did they uh, have fire of God, they were faithful, friends. They were faithful to the very end. They were fully surrendered to Christ. Acts 4, 18 and 20, I'm going to read this. It says, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking what we have seen and heard. Even when they were threatened, they were faithful to the Lord. See, in verse 20, note, note that they said they cannot help but speak what they have seen and heard. Christ had commanded them to preach, and they, how they, they took that serious. They took the Great Commission serious. They didn't call it the Great Suggestion in the Bible. They called it the Great Commission, to go and to make disciples of all nations. 
How could they do anything less? To them, there was no other option. To them, the Great Commission was serious. Even in the face of opposition, they couldn't imagine doing anything else, friends. Friends, I want to encourage you. Be faithful to what God has called you to do. Be faithful for what he has given you. Be faithful in your marriage. Be faithful to your children. Be faithful at your job place. Because what you do unto others, you do unto the Lord. What you do to the least of these, you do unto the Lord. And be faithful in your witness. God has called us to the Great Commission. Every single one of us, no matter where we work, whether we work at Jeep or we work for Toledo Public Schools or Chrysler or Libby Glass or anywhere else in this place, whatever business, if you're a businessman, whatever you do, God has called you to share the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations, to be a light to the world. And friends, we've got to be faithful in this area. We've got to, we've got to be faithful in this area. My prayer has been, Lord, teach us to be faithful even in difficult seasons of our life. Even in difficult seasons. Too many of us give up on God and quit when things don't work out the way that we want them to. I just heard a teaching of a man of God who said, if I prayed and every time I prayed, God answered, well, then I would be praying every single second of the day. I mean, if every time I offered up a prayer and God answered, I would be praying every single second of the day. But sometimes the teacher is most quiet when the test is being taken, right? And God sometimes is quiet when we're in a season of testing. And friends, don't feel that he's not there because he's still listening and he's still watching. And even when you feel like your prayers aren't being answered right away, don't give up hope. Stay faithful to the end. The Bible says he who is faithful to the end will be saved. Don't stop praying. But friends, it's not just about praying. When you pray and God tells you to do something, when you hear his voice, don't be disobedient. And make sure the voice that you're listening to lines up to the word of God. If, God is, if you feel like the spirit of God is telling you something contrary to the word of God, friends, that's not the spirit of God. That's probably your own imagination. We want to blame everything on the devil, but a lot of times it's just our own imagination. We've got to learn to be faithful, Lord, even in difficult seasons, even in difficult seasons, even when you're going through the hard times. The early church was faithful, and look, there's no ending in the book of Acts because it's not over yet. And then finally, why else is the early church had such power in their witness? They fought the good fight. Can you say they fought the good fight? Say fight. Friends, we've got to learn to get our fight back. Say get our fight back. I said before, we need to learn to be spiritual Rockies. When we get knocked down, we need to get back up. And listen, that's scripture because the Bible says this. And when a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. But so often we get knocked down and we want to stay down. Woe is me. Woe is me. I, I, I'm, my bills aren't paid this month. Woe is me. Struggles are happening in my marriage. Woe is me. And we have this little Eeyore. We want to be an Eeyore for, for Christ. Oh, Jesus. I'm coming to church today. Oh, man. It's been a struggle. Don't tap me because I'm not going to look up and smile because it's just been a rough one. Don't ask me how I'm doing because you're going to get an earful of how it's so hard. And oh, man. 
You don't even want to know what I've been going through. It has been a struggle. It's just, <laughs> it's been so hard. Oh, man, it's been so hard. Oh, I can't hand out a bulletin today, brother. There's nothing. I, bar- I barely made it here. I barely made it. No. Oh. See, the Bible says when, I, when they said unto me to go into the house of the Lord, I was happy. I rejoiced when they said, come on, let's get to the house of God. I was glad when they said unto me, let's get to the house of God. Friends, nobody wants to have what you have if that's how you look. Oh, Jesus, please come to know my Jesus. He's so good. Really? I can't tell by how you're acting. We've lost our fight. We've lost our fight. Something happens and oh man, there's no God in heaven because something bad happened to me. No, friends, it's in the bad times. It's in the sufferings. If if God allowed his own son, Jesus Christ, to suffer on the cross, what makes you think you will have no suffering in your life? It's in the sufferings, friends. It's in the hard times that we draw closer to the Lord. But the enemy wants to come in in those hard times and make us doubt who we believe. And that's why we need to have a sure foundation of Jesus Christ. That's why we need to get our fight back. That's why we need to do what the early church did and fight the good fight. The early church knew it was bigger than just them. They made disciples, not just converts. They passed the baton of faith to the next generation. We're having a hard time passing the baton of faith just to our own children, friends. When we look at the generations and it goes from 60-something percent in the baby boomers, or no, builders to the baby boomers, 30-something percent to the, to the X generation of mid-30, 40-somethings, 16 percent to the college age and high school kids now at 4 percent, friends. We're having a hard time passing the baton to the next generation. But the early church passed it on. They knew it was bigger than just themselves. This is what Paul said to Timothy. Now let me explain something for, for a minute. My husband always says everybody in their life needs a Paul. That's someone who's like a spiritual coach or a mentor or a father in the faith. Everybody needs a Paul. And I want to add to this, everybody needs to be a Paul eventually. Everybody needs a Timothy. Someone that, that they're passing the, the baton to, someone that they're bringing along with them, that they're leading them to Christ, that they're discipling them, not just giving a convert and having them say a prayer, but someone who they're saying, come on, let's do this for Jesus together. Everybody needs a Timothy, and everybody needs a Barnabas. A Barnabas is a peer. It's a friend. You're co-labor together. You walk this journey together. You're on the same level. Everybody needs those relationships in their life. And everybody needs to be one. Everybody needs to be a Paul. Everybody needs to be a Timothy to someone, and everybody needs to be a Barnabas. This is what Paul said to Timothy. He said, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Did he say, it's hard, Timothy. You're in a church right now that has all kinds of gossip and division. It's hard. Go ahead and just come on back to Papa. We're going we're gonna, to, I'll console you. I'll let you sit in my lap and I'll, and I'll rub your face and make you feel better. Did he say that? No. What did he say? He said, fight the good fight, bro. Put your big boy pants on. Come on, we can do this. Don't give up. Fight the good fight. 
were called, when you made your good confession, the presence of many witnesses. <sighs> Friends, we got to remember. We got to remember that when we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that's making a covenant. But see, in our generation today, we don't understand covenant. In, in, in the church, there's just as many divorces as in the world. We don't understand covenant. When you, when you make a covenant, it is it's deeper than a promise. It's a bond that shall not be broken. And when you give your heart to the Lord, you make a covenant with him. And you're saying, you are Lord, I am your child. You are Lord, I am your servant. You are God, I am your child. I belong to you. I don't belong to Joy Hester anymore. See, before Jesus, Joy Thomas, it was, belonged to Joy Thomas. But when I gave my heart to Jesus, it was joy belongs to God. Friends, we are not our own. We have been bought at a high price, the scripture says. And we need to honor God with that. We need to remember our covenant that we made with the Lord. And we need to fight the good fight. See, Paul poured into many younger ministers, but this one, Timothy, was one closest to him. He also wrote this to Timothy at the end of his life. He didn't tell Timothy to do something that he didn't do himself. But he wrote this scripture in Acts, or 1 Timothy 6, 11, and 12. He says this. Nope, I already read that one. My bad. 2 Timothy, I thought I had, yeah, 2 Timothy 4, 7. That's where I want to go next. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. And I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Paul wrote this basically near the end of his life, some would say even on his deathbed. He said, I have fought the good fight. He, he told Timothy what he did himself. So often, we do not practice what we preach. We tell someone to do something, but we're not doing it. Paul didn't do that. He told Timothy, fight the good fight. And then he said to himself at the very end of his days, I have fought. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. When I think about my pastor right now and what he's going through. I say to myself, his life has not been in vain because he has fought the good fight and there's a godly legacy and there's a godly heritage. And friends, whether you know it or not, you are standing on the shoulder of giants. You are standing on the shoulders of giants. The early church laid down their very life. They understood the wit to be a witness is to be a martyr and to be willing to give up their very life. But friends, you are standing on the shoulder of giants. What are you going to do with your time that you have been given? Because it is just a breath. We don't know when our, la our last, we don't know the day we're going to be born and we don't know the day that we're going to die, but it's a short time. Even if it's a hundred years, it's a short time, friends. And I want to make the most of every day. And the only thing that we can take with us it's not how much we've accomplished the American dream. It's not how big our house is and how fancy the school our kids go to or how well our cars are or how nice our clothes are. All those things will pass away. And in another generation, you won't be remembered for any of those things. But what you do for the kingdom of God lasts forever, friends. It's eternal. It's an eternal reward. And so to my last dying breath, I want to represent Jesus. 
This is what I've seen my pastor do. And I'm going to carry that on because I know that I'm standing on the shoulder of giants, friends. And you too are standing on the shoulder of giants. If you have come to Christ, whether you believe it or not, someone else already paid the way where you're at today. And now it's our turn to pay the way for the next generation. A friend called me up and gave me a prophetic word this week. And they said, the Timothys are now becoming the Pauls. And I know that word is for more than just me. I want you to receive that today. The Timothys are now becoming the Pauls. We've got to get it together, friends, because the days are short and the times that we live in are perilous and people need Jesus like never before. Will you be able to say this about yourself at the end of your days? Friends, it's time to gain back what the early church had and reclaim our power and our witness. Would you stand to your feet with me, please? Friends, it's time to wake up. It's time to have revival in our church again. And I'm not just talking about right here on Broadway Street. I'm talking about in the Church of America. But God, if you will it to begin right here in Broadway Street, to begin right here in Joy Hester, let it be so. Friends, if you are heard this message today and it tugged at your heart, and you know, you know without a shadow of doubt that you need the fire of God to burn in you again, would you raise your hands before the Lord today? I'm going to ask you to take a step further. If that's you, would you come up here and stand before the Lord today? some of my prayer team would you guys come on up too would you stand behind people as they're as they're praying and go ahead and just raise your hands before the lord it's not about someone touching you it's about you being right before god raise your hands before the lord god i just thank you lord god for every single person that has come up here today they want the fire of god they want to be faithful servants of the most high they want you to burn in them and through them they want to be used of god god i pray that you would fill them with your consuming fire god that you would burn away everything that is not of you right now in the name of jesus and god i pray that you would consume them every thought every moment lord that you would consume them lord god with your living word with your spirit that you would draw them close to you lord God, I pray that they will hunger and thirst for you because your word says when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. And God, I pray for every faithful servant in this house today. God, I pray, Lord God, that they will be faithful to the very end. He who is set, he who stands 
firm to the end shall be saved. God, let faithfulness rise up in the body of Christ. God, I pray for those who feel they've lost their fight, who've been underneath attack. Sometimes it gets draining. God, give them their fight back. Let them know they are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Give them their fight back. God, I pray for the lonely soul in this house today, Lord God. Your word says you put the lonely in families. God, I pray that they would have fellowship first with you. And God, that you would give them a Christian brother or sister to come beside them. And that they would be that person to somebody else. You are good, Lord. You are good. God, teach us the fear of God. Teach us the fear of God. Help us not keep flirting with sin. If that's you and you know that you've been flirting with sin, just ask God to forgive you. Sometimes we need to out loud to say, God, I am sorry. I'm sorry. I know that you told me to stay away from pornography and yet I looked again. Forgive me, Lord. Come on, if that's you, say it. God, I know that you told me to keep my tongue under control and yet I cussed again. God, forgive me. I lost my temper again. God, forgive me. I gossiped again. God, forgive me. Lord, I pray a fear of the Lord would come over your people. That they would, they would know that you could come back at any moment. And when, they, when you come back, they want to be caught watching and waiting and working for you. Not sleeping. Not slumbering. Not messing around with the things of this world. God, I pray for those in here today that are so new to you and this is still foreign to them. God, I pray that you would do something in their heart, that they would awaken that you are greater than any hobby they can have, any relationship they can have, any passion that they have, that you're greater than that. And God, that you would grab a hold of their hearts and that you would call them out for your kingdom's sake. I believe there's people in here that God is calling to the work of the ministry. And I'm not going to ask you to come up here if that's you. But I'm going to ask you to take that serious. If God is calling you out, you may be up here already. If God is calling you out to the work of the gospel, you don't wait till you have a title. You don't wait till you get a position. You start right now where you're at. God, I just pray right now for those who you feel, those who you've called out to the work of the gospel, God, that you would bless them, that you would give them a boldness like the early church had that they would share the gospel with others, that you would give them a passion and a fire. God, you are worthy and you are good. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.